So, Martin, we, um, we, we talked about how IT is organized, how you manage it, how you structure it, restructure it. Let's talk about your leadership style. Mm -hmm. How would you uh, define your own leadership style and can you give a couple of examples? Sure, okay. Well, I, I'd always want to be participative as a leader. So I, I believe that you know, teams deliver. Uh, any individual, now, however senior that individual is, you know, as an individual has limited capacity, mm -hmm. but an engaged team can deliver 10 times or 100 times more. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's all about how do you facilitate getting the team in a good place to be successful. Mm -hmm. That involves listening, having balance, having an environment where people feel they can speak up and their contributions will be valued, mm -hmm. making sure it's a diverse team so you get many different perspectives, making sure that people feel fairly treated so there's no personal barriers to make that effective contribution. Mm -hmm. uh, and, th and that kind of engagement, participation, uh, you know, creating the environment where you know, the sum is more than, you know, the, or the, the whole is more than the sum of the parts mm -hmm. uh, is really important to me. Uh, in addition, uh, something else I think is really important is making sure that the team recognizes when it's been successful mm -hmm. uh, in any digital organization, uh, there will be hundreds of things underway at any one time. Yep. And it's ever so easy to spend all your time focusing on the things that are less than perfect, yep. because there always will be some things that are less than perfect. Yep. But I think it's important to make sure you recognize what has been achieved and yep. build confidence that because we've done this, we can go on to greater things. So participation, making sure that there's an environment where people can be successful, open, mm -hmm. transparent is, is important for you. What do you think your people or people that work with you uh, say about you when you're not around? Yeah, well, I, I think they say some positive things. <laughs> uh, so I, th I think they recognize the participation, acknowledge the level of ambition that I try and bring into organizations that I work for. And it's, yep. it's about doing something that's uh, no, they're going to push boundaries, be significant. Uh, I think they might also uh, comment on, now I, I do value delivery uh, really, really highly. And that means that as a last resort, I can become quite hands-on. Okay. Uh, and people might say that didn't give us the headspace mm -hmm. we'd want. If you'd given us a bit longer, uh, we could have fixed that. Uh, I think another criticism that some might make would it be about being a perfectionist. I do like you know, when something's deployed, the user experience to be really, really good. Mm -hmm. uh, now you can improve over time, but you need to achieve a good enough initial, st initial standard, one that will pleasantly surprise the user community. Yep. Uh, and uh, I can be uh, no, uh, the, the downside of that, you can be called a perfectionist, uh, no, over-focusing on detail. So you put the bar pretty high in, yeah. in your mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. So in, in, in your work in general, what is it that makes you happy? What, when, when are you content? When are you happy when you go home and say, this was really a good day? Yeah. So for me, the uh, ultimate measure of success is delivery. Mm -hmm. uh, have we got things done 
that I myself regard as significant and worthwhile achievements, mm-hmm. something I will look back on as a good use of my time. Yep. Um, so this year, for example, there are several things that I'd, would immediately come to mind. The completion of our uh, virtual cloud data center, mm-hmm. uh, the go live of our data lake, uh, the deployment across the organization of our new intranet-based capability would be just three things in the first half of the year. Uh, and it is through measures like that, things like I say, look, uh, have I contributed to helping to make those things happen? It's never all me, so I've, I've only made a relatively small part of the contribution, but have I been part of those successes, both in shaping them in begin to begin with mm-hmm. and in then enabling that to happen? That brings me to another thought on my leadership style. I will consciously seek to build you know, the understanding and support for you know, a relatively ambitious agenda, mm-hmm. I'll then look to get the capability and resource in place to deliver on that. Mm-hmm. And I'll also look to protect the team uh, you know, so they have the space to deliver within that framework. Yeah. What is it that really challenges you? When, when, do you, when you get excited about, about things in, in, in your professional life? There are so many different dimensions. And I, I, I find it really hard to pick out mm-hmm. one uh, above all others. But in terms of uh, you know, the things that come to mind that I've been you know, particularly uh, you know, passionate in championing FCA, the concept of a digital platform and the concept of making sure that everything that is done that's part of that platform contributes to the cross-cutting digital enablers as well as the immediate yeah. business need. That's certainly something I've been passionate about. Uh, the communities of practice uh, and recognizing the need to invest in those uh, and securing support from the broader organization to put significant resourcing into them, but also dedicated full-time resource to make sure each is going to you know, make progress and build momentum. Your, your role here as a CIO when you joined was clearly to do a reorganization, a restructuring of, of the team, and, 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 and you're uh, almost there, let's say. You're mm-hmm. now in the transformation phase of that. How do you see uh, today and, 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 uh, and next year your fundamental role as, as CIO in this organization? I, CIO role I see as a uh, no, uh, number of elements to it. So mm-hmm. innovation, no, and but innovation from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. How can technology uh, best contribute to the effectiveness of the FCA in achieving the outcomes for the public? Uh, and that is always my starting point. The technology is a tool to, to a business end, yeah. uh, making sure we are contributing to that end, making sure we're doing so in a way where we are thinking of what is becoming possible because new things become possible every year with yep. the, you know, the pace of technology innovation. Uh, how do we bring that and engage our business colleagues so we are collectively you know, seizing the opportunities that are there uh, and uh, ensuring that as we go through our planning cycles that we've got a appropriately innovative des- no, target 
for how we're going to bring the benefits of what's possible into the FCA. So I see that as, as the first part of the role. Yep. The second element is about capability, because if, if, you, if, if you develop the vision, uh, you then need the capability that allows implementation of that vision. Mm-hmm. And the capability, the heart of the capability is people. Um, and you know, the modern world is so diverse in terms of the range of things happening, so complex that the command and control paradigm no longer works. Mm-hmm. Recruiting people who can, right skills, can do attitude. Yep. It's about creating the environment where they can be successful. Mm-hmm. It's about empowering them to then seize that opportunity and be successful in their own right. It's about supporting them when things don't go quite to plan. Uh, and inevitably, there will be things that don't go as well as you would like. Yeah. There'll be the occasional mistake. So I respond to those in the right way, which is to treat them as learning opportunities and to support individuals in getting through that because the person who feels worst about the mistake is usually the person who could have averted it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last thing they need at that point is uh, hostile criticism. Uh, so how, how, do you, how do you use the mistakes as an opportunity to yep. build and do better next time around? So that's the second element, building yes. that capability. And the communities of practice I've mentioned are a means of sustaining that capability and making sure it remains fresh and current. Uh, the third element is then delivery. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, uh, no, uh, and I'm thinking of a quote from... Stephen Sondheim, who said words to the effect that ultimately delivery is everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have all the strategy in the world, but unless it's delivered, nothing really changes. Those weren't his exact words, but that was, uh, that, that was his sentiment. Yep. And uh, for me, uh, no, delivery is at the heart of how I measure my personal success. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, and ensuring delivery happens is a combination of you know, the empowerment to create the possibility of delivery. It's the awareness of you know, where things are going well, where things are going less well, yep. where the pressure points are. It's early intervention or intervention as early as you can to support those areas where pressures are arising. Uh, and on rare occasions where something is critical but clearly it's not going to work if it's just left as is it's about making the appropriate intervention at the right time uh, to make sure that the big picture is sustained despite the challenges you face on the way so your role is to set a strategy make sure that you do the right things to uh, to innovate to build capabilities uh, with with your people and then to make sure that the delivery happens yeah Mm -hmm. so how is the let's say the governance uh, organized here in the FCA. How do you work together with your business colleagues, with, with general um, general management of this organization? How, how does that work here? Right. Uh, well, we uh, are governed by, as you'd expect, the FCA board, mm-hmm. uh, no, which is uh, no, uh, has a non-exec chair, a number of non-execs mm-hmm. uh, on it, as well as a number of the executive directors. Uh, we have an executive committee, we then have an executive operations committee that makes the, the uh, decisions on approving and overseeing mm-hmm. the majority of our digital delivery. Yep. Uh, so all three of those bodies have extensive contact with our digital strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the board is cited on the big picture approach yep. uh, and uh, approves that and also approves major initiatives within the program. 
the executive committee uh, now, which is uh, uh, now comprised, or, which includes the executive directors running the regulatory functions where the change programs land and are implemented. Mm -hmm. The executive directors take a keen interest in making sure they are getting the change that enables them to deliver their regulatory objectives. Yeah. So there are frequent conversations at the executive committee, mm -hmm. uh, now sometimes on the bigger picture strategy, uh, but also on individual projects and programs. Yep. Uh, and then the Executive Operations Committee that meets every two weeks uh, is the regular oversight body for the entire program. Uh, reporting into the Executive Operations Committee are then the, uh, no, the, the program boards for each of our initiatives, uh, and that reporting is done via the project sponsor. Okay. Martin, tell me, what is it that really challenges you? Right. Well, what brings real excitement to me is doing no big, uh, no leading edge initiatives mm -hmm. that haven't been done before. And, and I got the thirst for that. Uh, uh, no, in my university days, I was uh, sponsored through university uh, and uh, was asked to undertake project work on looking at how one of the UK banks could set up its first cash dispenser network. Uh, and I built a business case that was uh, well received, mm -hmm. and that led to you know, further work. So you know, in my first graduate job, uh, I was tasked with setting up a pre-internet, but internet-like network linking insurance brokers and insurance companies. Uh, from there, I joined Reuters, and in Reuters, I did some big uh, frame-breaking projects, you know, so news search engines. Yeah. Uh, deploying military technology uh, no, before Google was invented, uh, the world's first globally produced digital TV product, uh, and several others. And that gave me uh, no, a sense of the excitement of doing these pioneering projects for the first time. The public sector then renewed that excitement because at the time that the private sector had done the initial set of no, uh, no possible deployments, the public sector hadn't invested. So joining the pension service, yep. it was around how do you take a 20,000 person organization that takes six weeks to process a state pension into one that employs less than half that number, but where state pension claims are dealt with in less than 15 minutes and they're in payment by the end of it. So that was exciting. Yep. Uh, you know, from there to the G Cloud program, the first strategy for UK government cloud computing. In the prison service, prison and probation service, the first national deployment of uh, case and risk management systems. Cambridge University, you know, the world's largest academic supercomputer. So <laughs> every role I've been in, there's been some that say, yeah. It needs to be bigger than the first time. It, it was time well spent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about your personality. As, as you know, we, um, we use the Myers-Briggs uh, type uh, indicator, the MBTI, yeah. as a common thread in the, uh, the, these conversations yes. that, we, that we have. And your personality type is you're an INTJ. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and so you're more, uh, a bit more introvert than extrovert. The N, so you more look at the big picture than at necessarily yeah. all the details. You're more um, rational than emotional. And the J is for, for uh, judging. So you are strong in your opinions and make sure that you then go for it. Uh, you follow your opinions, let's, let's put it that way. So INTGs are the uh, architects and strengths of architects are that they are quick, imaginative, and they have a strategic mind. Mm -hmm. They're highly uh, self-confident, independent, decisive, hardworking, 
determined, open-minded are some of the strengths in, uh, for people with that personality type. Does that relate? Does, does that resonate to you? And which words uh, pop out for you? Uh, so the you know, strategic, big picture, architects, you know, all, all of those things would, 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 would come to mind, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, there are also downsides to the INTJ personality, of course, you know, which... You know, Nobody's perfect. Indeed, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and uh, so kind of you know, the people side of things mm -hmm. tends to be a downside of this, really having that warmth, that engagement. Yeah. And so I, I am aware of that and I, and I know that under pressure it is natural for me to focus on the task. So I have to you know, work with myself really hard yeah. to make sure that I continue to pay attention to the team uh, under those situations. And how did you learn that? What, what happened... How did you develop in that, that, that you also are strong? I mean, you have to be strong yeah. if you lead people in doing big, uh, big uh, projects, uh, challenging things. So how do you make sure, how have you learned to, to, to work with people? Yeah, well, in my early career, I would deliberately partner with somebody who had complementary strengths. I'd try to recruit somebody to my team. Okay. Uh, and you know, th th what I would look for was an, an, an extrovert with a little bit of charisma, uh, someone who'd bring people with them, someone who people would be you know, wanting to come and see and talk to. And, and those partnerships, which I did in several organizations, uh, worked very well. Okay. Uh, now I'm in a more senior position. I you know that simple option is no longer quite as easy to execute. Yeah. Uh, but I, I now try and do that by you know, being aware of my own weaknesses mm -hmm. and making sure that I'm doing everything I can to compensate. I also get regular feedback. So we have, uh, I have an annual uh, 360. Oh, yeah. That cool. gives me feedback from many levels in the organization. Uh, no, I know uh, there's a staff survey, of course, that gives us a sense of how the team is doing as a whole. Uh, and I am uh, 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 a sponsor for uh, two colleagues from the black and minority ethnic community. Mm -hmm. uh, and that gives me the chance to talk to other colleagues who, with different perspectives. Okay. And again, get a sense as to how things are going. So getting the feedback yep. uh, is an important part of it. And, and I do know that it is very easy to live in a bubble. And perhaps mm -hmm. that's one of the weaknesses of INTJ. You can uh, now be in this theoretical bubble yep. where the sun always shines and problems never penetrate, yeah. uh, but you've got to step outside the bubble and understand what it's like for others dealing with the real world. You've been working in government for the last 16 years. As, as a top uh, digital leader, I can imagine that in private sector you could make more money than you can make here mm -hmm. in, in government. What is it that drives you to be, uh, to be a, a leader here in government? Mm -hmm. uh, firstly, the public value. No impact that that does resonate. You know, it, it's it's a, it makes it feel more than a job. Mm -hmm. It delivers something back for society. You can yep. see that the work you're doing is helping, you know, many people across the country. Mm -hmm. So that that that, that is is one. You no, know, uh, it brings satisfaction. Yep. But I'd also say in terms of you know, challenges for digital leaders, the public sector is large in scale. Mm -hmm. 
and it has in some cases and in some of the areas I have worked in the amount of change that's been possible because of historical underinvestment yep. has been substantial so in terms of if you like I, you, you've probably got a sense how somebody gets kicks from delivery the amount of delivery that's possible in a large organization yep. that is behind where it could be that has the realization it needs to catch up yep. and make a big difference that can bring enormous satisfaction from someone like me. Let's talk a bit about values. What, is, what are the, 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 the core values that, that you live by? What of, and, and for instance, you, you, have, you, you told me you have two kids, two children that are in, in the early 20s in university. What are the values that you want them to take on from, from you? Well, the, the first I would say is you've, you've got to have balance in life. Mm -hmm. at, at the end of the day, and I've... Uh, uh, over the last few years, both of my parents have passed away, mm -hmm. and in their later years, one thing that was very, very clear to me, no, in the final few years, family is all you have. Mm -hmm. Everything else is gone, work, friends, yep. it's just family. So family really, really matters. Um, and uh, doing what it takes to build and sustain no, an effective, a strong family. Yep. Uh, that you have to make sure you do that. And it's very easy with the excitement of what's to be done in the working world to push that too far back. The so that's, that's, that's one of the values, make sure that balance is there so the family is not neglected and is uh, and indeed is better than not, is in a good position. Uh, now, beyond that, I would say for me, you know, achievement. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember one of my former bosses um, speaking at a conference and talking about, uh, he asked people to put their hands up, said, hands up if you've heard the story about Alexander the Great, the mythical Greek king. Mm -hmm. And just about everybody in the room had heard the story of Ale Alexander the Great. His second question was, who's heard of Alexander the Average? <laughs> Nobody's heard of Alexander the Average, and that was his point, exactly. Uh, now, uh, people remember people who do extraordinary things. So that yep. is part for me as to why you know, time goes very quickly. Let's try and use the time to the best possible effect. Mm -hmm. uh, in delivering that achievement, uh, now, doing it in a fair way, uh, a fair and inclusive way that is sustainable for the medium to longer term, mm -hmm. uh, I would call out. No, we've all seen people try to take shortcuts, uh, you know, step over their colleagues. Nobody likes it. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I, I feel uncomfortable if I see that happen. I'm telling everyone to do it myself. Uh, and uh, a final one for me would be, and I know it's an overused word, but integrity. Mm -hmm. Can you sleep soundly at night? Can you say, yes, I've done the right things for the right reasons. I've yep. lived up to my values. Uh, I haven't got any concerns. I'm going to be found out at some point. So you sleep well? I do sleep well. <laughs> Very good. You have a hardworking job here. Mm -hmm. you, I can imagine you put in a lot of hours and a lot of energy. How do you, what is your way to relax uh, and, and, and not take your, your problems and the issues home? What is, how do you... Um, Put your feedback on the ground. Right. Okay. 
Well, firstly, I make sure that when I get home, mm -hmm. uh, no, the norm is I do not do any further work okay. while at home. I may do some reading on the way home, mm -hmm. but once home, uh, that, that is it. Yep. Uh, secondly, I will uh, no, usually get some exercise every day. Uh, so this building we're in now has a gym on the floor above us. Uh, I'm in that gym every weekday morning. Good. Only for half an hour, but I find the exercise brings a number of benefits. Mm -hmm. uh, one is it helps sustain energy or helps boost energy. Uh, and the second is, uh, no, I find it's also a great cleanser of any stress. Now, after a workout, no, if I had been feeling a little bit wound up or something, that, that feeling is gone. Um, what else do I do? So uh, I make sure that at weekends I will, and, and I'd, I'd like to say I never do any work at weekends, but I would be misleading if I said that, uh, but I do make sure that, no, there's no more than a few hours work at weekends. So Martin, do you have any personal mantra that you live by? Yes, I'd say I, I, I seek out challenges. Mm -hmm. When I've got those challenges, plan for success. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very easy to spend your time thinking about you know, why things might go wrong mm -hmm. uh, and all the reasons why things can't happen. Yeah. Uh, but what I've found from early on in my career, if you say, look, this is an achievable goal, we have to work back from that goal and build a plan that's going to get us there, mm -hmm. more than half the time you can pull that off. Yep. Not always, but more than half the time. Who do you look up to in your life, in your professional life, your private life? Who And, and who are the, the, the people that were like your mentors in your professional uh, life? Right, so a number of people come to mind as mentors in professional life. Mm -hmm. uh, the first is uh, you know, a former colleague, uh, Jerry Spencer, mm -hmm. who was a mentor in my very first job. And, and what I really admired about Jerry was his entrepreneurship within a large corporate. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Je Jerry was so creative, so bright, uh, so willing to envisage possibilities and think about how to make them happen that he was an inspiration. Mm -hmm. Secondly, Alexis Cleveland, who I worked for for uh, five or six years when she was chief executive of the pension service. Mm -hmm. uh, and Alexis, what impressed me about uh, no, her way of being was her passion for the customers the organization served. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, she described this in terms of uh, no, her desire to build an organization that was there for every pensioner in the country, mm -hmm. but came through particularly for the most needy, uh, that was quick, uh, pleasant and you know, uh, satisfying to deal with, uh, and which was there for everybody. Yep. Uh, and uh, the vision uh, Alexis encapsulated and the power of that vision uh, was uh, you know, compelling. Uh, thirdly, again, it's, it's a former uh, you know, boss, uh, Michael Spur, who until recently was chief executive of Her Majesty's Prison and Probation Service. Mm -hmm and a very difficult job running uh, a correctional system, particularly at a time of austerity, uh, and the sheer utter decency, uh, the human spirit, uh, the care for the fellow human being mm -hmm. uh, that Michael always encapsulated 
again, was a, a true inspiration. Yeah. One of my favorite questions yeah. in, uh, or uh, topics in these conversations that I have with digital leaders and CIOs around, uh, around the world is, Martin, what is and what has been your most brilliant failure and what did you learn from that? Right. Okay. Well, my most brilliant failure uh, was a failure on spectacular scale. Mm -hmm. uh, and it has been spoken about in the UK press as the biggest IT failure in history. Whoa. Uh, and I'm referring here to what the press described as the £12.7 billion National Health Service Programme for Information Technology, mm -hmm. or NPFIT, as it was known. Yep. Uh, the programme was set up by Richard Granger, who moved on after a number of years, and I was one of two people appointed to be Richard's successor uh, at a point when the programme had delivered a number of successes, yep. but was also exhibiting some difficulties, mm -hmm. uh, particularly with the deployment of large systems to acute hospitals, which is the most complex part of the health system. Yep. Uh, and these projects were running years behind schedule and causing usability and productivity issues for clinicians when deployed. Yeah. Uh, at that time, my uh, everything I had attempted to deliver, I had been successful at, mm -hmm. uh, and I was, uh, on taking the role, was buoyed up by 360-degree feedback. Somebody had written, Martin, no problem, too big. <laughs> but boy, did I find one too big. <laughs> Uh, and uh, that it became clear to me within about nine months of joining mm -hmm. that it was not going to be possible to achieve the turnaround that I was originally seeking to achieve. Yep. Uh, there were too much water had gone under the bridge, too much money had been spent, uh, and the further money that needed to be spent to get the outcome uh, no, was not going to be forthcoming from either government or the supply community. Uh, with the experience and insights that you have now, uh, being a, a bit older and, 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 and wiser, how would you have behaved or, or acted differently in, 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 that in that project? I would have done more due diligence before taking on the role on yep. the level of political support mm -hmm. uh, and the level of supply commitments. In other words, it's, it's all about stakeholders. Yep. Uh, because if the stakeholders have limits in their support and those limits are not sufficient to get the initiative over the line, then failure, I would, uh, no, with hindsight, I would recognise as potentially inevitable. Okay. These interviews, they're being watched by, um, by future digital leaders, by future CIOs, people that had ambition. Uh, to lead large uh, IT departments in, in, in government and in, in private sector. What would your advice be to, uh, uh, to people that have this ambition? How, what are your secrets to success that you could uh, pass on to them? Yeah. Uh, firstly, it would be think creatively. Uh, no, so no, go into an organization thinking about how you can perhaps do something nobody had ever expected. No, and something that people will say. Uh, so I, I can remember uh, a phrase that a colleague in the pension service used on a 360. They said that as a result of some of the work I'd done, uh, the organisation was now now had a belief that it could 
uh, deliver new levels of possibility. So that, that sort of is the environment one way you're going to be capable of getting the organisation to think bigger in terms of what it's trying to achieve. Yep. Uh, the second would then be about the importance of delivery. Mm -hmm. And when you're early on in your career uh, and you haven't got, you know, you're, you're working within a system that somebody else has set, yep. think about do you have the levers you need to achieve the delivery. So I'll give you an example of where I decided very clearly I needed to push the boundaries. And that was uh, shortly after I first entered the public sector. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we were, I, I was tasked with delivering the digital enablers for a transformation of a public service that was very large. The, the transformation ambition was very high mm -hmm. and the timescales had to be very short. So putting that together, so this program is really very challenging, therefore pretty high risk, therefore needs a true A team to deliver it, yeah. and it needs an A team that will be there throughout the duration of the four-year delivery. At that point, public sector procurement policy uh, was interpreted as meaning you could only procure for what you could specify, and because you only specify the first six months, that meant you'd have to re-procure another supplier six months in. So first of all, there isn't the time for that, and so the learning curve and the uh, no, uh, inheriting other people's work and saying, well, that never worked properly, yeah. has to be redone. All of that wouldn't have meant failure was inevitable. Mm -hmm. And so I started to say, look, we need a new procurement policy. Yeah. And to begin with, people said, look, uh, no, you, we can't ask these questions. This is what we're required to do. Uh, the last person who asked that question suddenly disappeared. We don't know what happened uh, to him. But I said, look, it's, 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 it's better to fail early and exit yep. the organization early than fail over three years. Yep. So I'm going to find the person uh, and uh, say we need to change the policy. It took me a long time to work out who the person was. And when I ultimately find the person, it was somebody within a few months of retirement. And he tried to avoid having a meeting with me. And when I found him, he's, his opening conversation, he said, I'm terribly sorry. I said, why are you sorry? He said, well, you've been trying so hard. And you've been so insistent on coming to see me. I must, have, I must have upset you or offended you in some way. <laughs> I said, no, that's not the issue. Here's what it is. Yep. And he said, well, thank you for giving me feedback. Nobody, I haven't had feedback for years. <laughs> and the policy was changed. And, yep. I, and now I looked back on that and said, well, look, I know how easy it would have been to accept the received wisdom and not challenge that. Uh, but look how easy it was in practice. So I, I'd say, look, don't... No, if, if you feel over-constrained by the system you're in, challenge it and seek to change it. If you can't change it, better to leave early than fail medium term and move to an environment that's more conducive to your success. Okay. Uh, and, my, and my third piece of advice would be, uh, no, at the end of the day, everything is about people. Mm -hmm. So make sure that you are working in... Uh, you're developing your approach in the organisation in a manner that takes into account of both the your business and personal objectives and the people factors. If you find something that resonates with the people in the organisation, you can achieve 100 times more than where the people are trying to pull against you. Yep. So, Martin, in, in life and in business, not everything is success. Sometimes you have to deal with disappointment and with frustration. Can you give an example how, how you do this? 
Yes. Well, f first of all, I have learned to recognize that a degree of frustration is inevitable in your professional life. Mm -hmm. So in my early career, uh, with hindsight, uh, I was uh, now undertaking a search for the frustration-free job. <laughs> now I realize that no job exists. This was brought home to me at KPMG where uh, no, a, a colleague uh, no, shared with me that he had come to observe from all the consulting work he'd done mm -hmm. that job satisfaction could be expressed in a formula. The formula is like this. Job satisfaction, he said, equals fun multiplied by money divided by frustration. <laughs> he said, sadly, he said, there is no such thing as the frustration-free job. Yeah. Every job has an element, but hopefully it's quite small. Hopefully the job satisfaction is high and the money isn't a, a barrier. Then job satisfaction is good. But if frustration is high, however much money you paid, it doesn't really matter. So the first is recognize it's inevitable. Yep. Um, but you know, how much there is often is down to how you respond to the triggers. Yep. Uh, so no, what, what I have learned to do over time, because no, there were times in my earlier career when I would to a degree get irritated by colleagues. Uh, and I've worked you know, once or twice for a line manager who I've found frustrating to work for. Yep. But I've come to realize that you no, know, you've got to take personal responsibility. If there is frustration in the relationship, what can I do to change it? Yep. How can I take control of the situation and influence it? And usually, when, you know, if you think about things and you talk to the other person, you explain how you're feeling, uh, you try and get to the underlying issues, you can usually work it out and much better get the issue on the table and deal with it than to just feel frustrated indefinitely. Uh, another observation I'd make is that, uh, you know, because frustration can sometimes take time to address. Mm -hmm. uh, no, uh, I've, I've certainly found some of these situations have taken several months to sort out. Uh, and uh, persistence is important. So I, I recall a quote from Thomas Edison, who said words to the effect of many of those who failed in life gave up not realizing how close they were to success. Yeah. So keep going until you really have pushed it to the final points uh, or it's become clear you cannot change it. Sometimes if it's a system, it's hard to change systems. This is individual relationships with your boss. And so with that, Martin, I would like to thank you for your time and for your hospitality and for all the insights and the experiences that you shared. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you for coming.